Welcome to One Screened Every Minute. I'm Elizabeth Callanan. To begin, I'd like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land I'm recording on today. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Ask any expectant parent what they want for their child and they'll likely tell you, I just hope they're happy and healthy. Increasingly, people are seeking reassurance and peace of mind through non-invasive prenatal screening, or NIPT. At as early as 10 weeks, a simple blood test can provide information about the likely genetic makeup of the foetus. But what happens when the results are unexpected? When they raise more questions than answers? In one screened every minute, I'll bring you conversations with ordinary people who have received extraordinary information about their pregnancy. In each episode, we hear how they understood and navigated the options available to them after receiving screening results showing a high chance of chromosomal differences. These stories are shared so we can learn but not judge, and they need our urgent attention. Today on One Screened Every Minute, I'm speaking with Naomi and Al. Naomi's a midwife and Al is an architect. They're the parents of two boys, Frankie, who is seven, and Joe. Joe passed away suddenly just before his second birthday. Only a few months later, Naomi became pregnant. Non-invasive prenatal screening showed a high chance of a chromosomal deletion. Naomi and Al will share what they've learned about prenatal screening as they've climbed, in their words, the Everest of grief. Thanks to you both for joining me in a COVID safe way on screen today. I think you are some of um, the many Victorian parents celebrating back to face-to-face learning um, in schools today. So that's a pretty amazing milestone. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, <Susan. laughs> Naomi and Al, I want to know what made you say yes to coming on the podcast today? Um, well, I guess I... I said yes because, um, you know, we have a child with Down syndrome and we've had, you know, a couple of experiences with uh, prenatal testing and screening. And, yeah, I guess it's um, it's good to get an opinion from someone that's that's been through it. So both, you know, prenatally and postnatally. So it's a, it's a different perspective, I suppose. So can you um, tell us a a bit about uh, your children? Sure. So we've got uh, Frankie, uh, Francis, who is seven, and we have Joe, who would have turned three this year, um, but Joe actually passed away in June last year. So, um, but yeah, we've got Frankie here with us and um, yeah. Off to school. Off at school, yeah. <laughs> yeah grade, After such a long time. In grade two, now at school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. So Joe had Down syndrome um, and Joe also had Hirschsprung's syndrome, which is a bowel condition. Hirschsprung's um, disease. Hirschsprung's yeah. disease. To find out more about Hirschsprung's disease, a rare and serious condition affecting the bowel, see the link in the notes for this episode over at onescreenedeveryminute.com. 
I also wanted to point out that from here on in, you'll hear Naomi and Al refer to Down syndrome as DS. There are also links in the episode notes where you can find out more about this chromosomal condition. Because of Joe's DS, I suppose we found out a bit more about non-invasive prenatal screening. Mm. Um, but we didn't have, Naomi didn't have additional testing when she was pregnant with Joseph, we found out about Joe's diagnosis when he was born. Mm, yeah. So did you have any prenatal screening during the pregnancy with Joe or? With Joe? Um, so we were in Brisbane at the time because uh, we lived up there for a year. And um, I remember having the conversation with our GP up there about what testing I would do. And she did mention the NIPT or NIPS test. Um, mm. But to be honest, I didn't really give it a lot of thought. It was a fairly new test at that time and it was quite expensive. We were just wrapped to be pregnant again. We sort of um, um, denied about it for so long and I was studying at the time and then, you know, fell pregnant with Joe quite easily towards the end of my final year of midwifery. So, um, you know, I kind of just... You know, I did the uh, first trimester um, combined screening, which is the scan combined with bloods, and that gives you a chance ratio, if you like, of um, the few chromosomal conditions. But So that was the test that I did do, and that came back with a low chance result. So we didn't really investigate it any further. Um, yeah, didn't really see the point. Yeah, yeah. So there was no, no indication that... Further testing was warranted? No. I mean, I was 37, I think, at the mm -hmm. time. So I probably fell into a higher risk category because of my age. But um, there was certainly nothing indicated on, you know, the 12-week scan that made us think that we should, you know, be doing anything else. Um, everything looked good morphology-wise that they saw. So, um, yeah, we just continued. And so... Joe's diagnosis was a complete surprise. Yeah. Post birth. Yeah. Tell me a bit about that. Mm. Oh, um, <laughs> uh, with the kid with DS, you can often tell by looking at the kid if they might have DS, even if you're a, a parent, I suppose. So when Joe was born, I looked at him and I kind of thought that he would have DS from his facial features. The doctor, the pediatrician, I guess, came to. Naomi had a had a Caesar. Mm. Um, so she was in recovery. So I was with Joe uh, and he was in a what do they call the cot? Isolate. Yeah, isolate. You've got your expert here. What do you call that? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, Not in pediatrics, no. And I was with him I don't know, probably an hour after he was born. Um, and the doctor came and gave and told me, she said, Oh, I think he has Down syndrome. Um and then I I wasn't with Naomi because she was in recovery and I said, oh, first, first what I did was pick him up because he was in the isolate with cords, with, you know, oxygen and a whole lot of things by getting him. And I thought the best, well, my, my instinctive response to that was to pick up Joe so I can make a connection towards a child. Um and then once you once I'd made that decision, then I didn't have to worry about the, the diagnosis anymore, ever again, I suppose, yeah. which was an instinctive thing, which I was kind of very glad that I did do 
because you don't have to go, what what should I do? Because once you've made a, made a commitment to your child, the commitment is made from from my point of view. So so I kind of we I kind of did that, and then I said, oh, we have to bring Naomi in. We have to tell her as well at the same time. And then I think you came mm. in. They brought her in in the bed. Yeah, yeah, and you know. During that time that I was I wasn't with Alan Joe, I did when I saw Joe after um, the cesarean. I did look at his face and think, "Oh, like he looks different. Like he looked different to Frankie." Mm. And I saw the the shape of his eyes, and I and I do remember having that thought of, "Oh, he kind of looks like he has Down syndrome." But I'd never met anyone with Down syndrome. I hadn't in my career looked after any babies with Down syndrome. It was just a thought that I had. But I also had a lot of, you know, medication at that point. And I thought, oh, maybe it's just my mind. I'm really out of it. Um, And then they actually took me up to the postnatal ward um, and then brought me back to the nursery. And I remember my midwife saying, oh, we're just going to go and see, you know, the baby and Al, they're in the nursery. Um, and I just had this, I just had this funny feeling, you know, in my gut. And yeah, I just remember being wheeled into the room and I just saw Al there holding Joe. And, um, and that's when I think one of the consultants said, oh, we think Joe has Down syndrome. And I think, I just remember going into complete shock mm, mm. Um, that's the only way I can really describe it it was just just disbelief and I remember apologizing over and over and I don't know why I did that you were apologizing. but I somehow yes. just felt like it was my fault that this had happened that I should have known for some reason that he was gonna have down syndrome like how could I have known there's no way but um, I just remember saying, I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. And I think Al was already, you know, he was holding Joe and he looked sad, but I think he'd kind of already reached a point of accepting that, you know, of the, of the diagnosis and, and, you know, had made the decision to just um, embrace Joe and not be alone in that moment Mm. but um yeah it's very blurry to me though yeah yeah the day of joe's birth yeah and do you have much memory and maybe al you might you might be sort of clearer around sort of the support and how that was communicated how the diagnosis was communicated what the feelings associated with that were from the professionals Mm. that were involved um i think it was communicated pretty well like they just tell you they don't necessarily say it's like a negative thing they say here's this is the fact and they don't always the doctor who told us didn't apologize for it or make a judgment Mm. or anything she just said this is it you know here's what we think and she said Mm. oh we can confirm it with some blood testing but but i'm completely positive that he has it we don't Mm. it's not as if you have to wait and see she said he does he does have it Mm-hmm. Um, and I think once we were told that that was what they were speculating or they were prepared to make that unofficial diagnosis, I think in our hearts 
we knew that that's you know, yeah. that he had it. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. It wasn't a question in our minds anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I agree. Like I feel like, you know, most of the interactions we had with, with our caregivers around Joe's diagnosis um, were pretty positive, I guess, would yeah. you say? Yeah. Um, mm. There wasn't sort of any negative language as such, which I'm really grateful for. Um, there was just a lot of facts given to us um, and, you know, social work referrals. So we saw a social worker in the hospital. Um, we were linked in with DSV, which has done Syndrome Victoria pretty quickly. And that then was they contacted us. Probably the most positive visit yeah. related to DS is the yeah. woman, Danny, who came from DSV to talk to us. Mm-hmm. Um, she came to the hospital? She or? came to the hospital. Jo was in the children's, right? So, so Yeah, so Joe got transferred to um, the children's day two just because they were um, concerned about his bowel and that that's when they diagnosed the Hirschsprung's disease which is the bowel condition that Joe had um, so we were at the the children's at that point and that's when um, when Danny came um, to talk to us and um, I think that was quite a pivotal moment actually in the whole journey for us because it was like you finally got to talk to someone that had the lived experience and no one was going to give you you know, information that was out of date or um, maybe biased in some way. Like, you know, she just kind of told us what what their life was like because, you know, they had a kid with DS and it was just like any other family. And also in some ways the DS, because Joe had Hirschsprungs, which is a health condition, or DS is not a health issue really, it's not at all, Um, but Hirschsprungs is, so he was sick, Mm. like, which I guess the 30-second summary is that he couldn't do a poo, he couldn't do a poo at all because he has part of his bowel, doesn't have the right nerve cells in it um, to push poo through. Mm. Um, so Hirschsprung's is a really serious disease. So he was in hospital for three, four weeks maybe. Yeah, almost And month, all, yeah. All, all the hospital stuff was around that, not around DS. Yeah. You don't need to be in hospital And DS, DS wasn't even our concern at that point. You know, it was like, okay, so he's got Down syndrome. But it, the Hirschsprungs is what, in fact, we were worried about. Um, he had surgery for that. Yeah. Had three months. And so there's a whole lot of other story yeah. around that. But the hospital stuff was mostly focused on that, which is what it should have been. And the yeah. DS, you, need, you don't need to go to hospital for DS. No. Like lots of kids with DS don't have other health issues and they're not in hospital. Mm. So it's we're so, almost sort of secondary. Mm. 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 And that visit from the Down Syndrome Victoria representative from Danny, did that um, perhaps like challenge some misconceptions that you might have had about what your life or or what Joe's life might look like, or what what was why was that so pivotal? Um, I guess when you get a diagnosis like the one that we had with Joe, um, you have a lot of sort of preconceived thoughts about what your family is going to look like. Um, You know, we waited four years to have another baby. This was something that we thought about a lot. It was a really considered decision. And I think that um, certainly I had imagined what our family life would look like. And it, I, you know, it didn't include a child with special needs. Like that wasn't something that, you know, was even on my radar. So um, I think, 
you know, trying to get our heads around that, but also having someone that's kind of walked the path before you, um, even though Danny's story was, you know, different to ours in terms of the diagnosis. But um, I remember she brought a little like family photo album or photo book with her the day that she met us. Um, and in it were just, you know, pictures of her boys and her family and just on holidays and going to school and just doing all these, you know, camping, all these normal family things that you would do. And I guess, you know, what she was trying to say to us was, your life is going to be great. In fact, it's probably going to be better than what you had even imagined. And I know this is a shock and there's an element of grief and you do need to grieve, I think. Um, and that's important. But once you sort of get past that, you know, just that reassurance that, you know, life is going to be really great and beautiful. So, mm. yeah. Mm. And you guys did have a couple of great, beautiful years with that beautiful boy. Yeah, we did. Yeah. 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 Tell me a little bit about about Joe. Oh, God, where do you start? Oh. <laughs> um, Joe was very funny and quite communicative. Like he was only, so he's only with us for less than two years. He was 20, I guess nearly 23 months. Yeah. months when he passed away, but. Um, I know this podcast isn't about DS, but he, uh, Joe could sign. So kids with DS when keyboard sign, as you know, um, we signed to Joe, I don't know, from when he was like a few mm. months old. Mm. And then when he started signing back to us when he was maybe a one. Mm. Yeah. Um, and you don't, no one, no one tells you this, but, um, kids can learn to sign quicker than they learn to talk and Joe could sign back to us and he's carers at his childcare center. Yeah. Um, so he could kind of talk better with signing than other 12 to 18 month old kids can mm. with, with words. Cause a lot of kids can't say anything or they yeah. can't say much. So Joe could talk to us and he had a few, a few words as well. And he could sign to us. Um, and he's really funny and very friendly and quite social and quite interested in, <laughs> in people, mm. meeting people and very willing to meet anyone he could um, and give them cuddles and, you know, wave to them. So yeah. he was very interested <laughs> in the world, mm. yeah, and yeah. life for sure. And his relationship with Frankie. Oh, so beautiful. Um, and I think, you know, Frankie just loved his brother and, you know, and that's the, you know, the great thing about kids is that, they're very accepting and they don't really see difference. Um, so we actually didn't really say anything to Frankie about Joe having Down syndrome for a while. Um, one thing that Danny told us, which was yeah. good, she said, oh, one way you can think about DS is Joe will just take a bit longer to learn to do things than other, mm. some things than other kids. And that's it. That's the whole, yeah. that's the whole explanation. And that's what you say to, um, to Frankie, that's yeah. what we said. And that's all we really needed him to know at that point. You know, we wanted him to fall in love with Joe as his brother and not, you know, without a label or anything else attached to it. So, and that's exactly what happened. I think I said that explanation to maybe his surgeon, a doctor mm. or something, and she said, oh, that's age appropriate. And I was like, oh, no, that's appropriate for any age. Like, mm. 
you can use that <laughs> yeah. to, for an adult and that's it. That's the whole thing. So, yeah. And Frankie just takes that at face value. Yeah. And that's what it is. And he's asked us stuff like, oh, did he have Down syndrome when he was little? Because he thought like, he might Frank- have had it too. Yeah. Did and, I have it? <laughs> and he meets other kids who have it, but he doesn't, we say, oh, you know, Rory has Down syndrome like, like Joe did. Mm. But he doesn't know or notice any mm. difference. Mm. Mm. So your first experience of non-invasive prenatal screening was more recently. Mm-hmm. I wonder mm-hmm. if you could talk a bit about that um, yep. and, you know, perhaps reflect on on how having Joe in your life, you know, shaped how you approached decision making or how you approached your understanding of non-invasive prenatal screening um yeah so a few months so joe passed away in june last year and a few months after that um i found out i was pregnant and it was very unplanned um very unplanned (laughs) um her gp laughed when we told her yeah (laughs) really out of the blue so you know just trying to emotionally um get my head around that grieving a child whilst also um potentially getting ready to bring another life into the world is is really difficult so we talked about testing um and I think that our thoughts were we would do it to find out, um, I guess, you know, if if the baby, I, mean, I think we're at a slightly higher risk of having, we were at a slightly higher risk of having another baby with DS, but also it has a lot to do with age and a whole number of things. But we thought if we were going to have another baby with DS, it would be good to get the diagnosis um, in pregnancy just so we could prepare ourselves. But, you know, we would happily welcome another baby with DS. It wasn't the issue for us. Um, the issue think? was Hirschsprung's. Yeah. So Hirschsprung's is is what caused Joe's death, really, um, mm. and what caused all of his health issues through his life. So we're, we're scared of that disease. Mm. So, and that's... It's got a high incidence with kids with DS, but it happens to any kid. But it's also um, hereditary in some ways. So if you have a kid with Hirschsprung's, you're more likely to have a child with Hirschsprung's. And you can't, there are no tests for it. But if we were to have another baby with DS, there's also a high likelihood of of Mm. Hirschsprung's. Particularly in males. Particularly in boys, yeah. Mm. So I suppose it's Mm. Mm. more like... Intertwined. Mm. Yeah. I suppose we're not worried about DS, but... We would be worried about her sprungs. Mm. Um and if we had another child with DS, then we would be on the lookout for that, I suppose. Even though you can't find out about it, yeah. Um, until the child until the child's, the born. child's born, and whether they pass meconium or not, right? Yeah. There's so, no you, you can't. There's no ultra. No, come there's up on no in utero no, right. testing. Okay. No. okay, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that was our main concern, that, yeah. actually. Mm. Um, so yeah, so that's what we did. So we did the NIPT test at 10 weeks. So we had a dating scan and that was all fine and did the testing and then got the result for that, which was, um, really difficult. And 
we learned that the baby, um, so the test showed up as the baby having a high chance of a chromosomal deletion, um, which was associated with really quite significantly poor outcomes. Um, it's not TS, it's something, something else. Quite and, different and yeah. mm. much more rare. Mm. 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 Um, and in that condition, in and of itself, um, has a link to other um, health, issues. health issues. So, okay. So they ring through the results, or how does that? How did that? Yeah. Work? So yeah. they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She and you know she was great. She talked about the result and but was really specific in saying you know this is not diagnostic. This is this is just a screening to really get confirmation. We need to progress to an amnio at around sixteen weeks, and so I would have been about eleven weeks at that point. Um, and we, and then from then on we went, so we went in, um, and had a face-to-face chat with, um, with her and also with a genetic counsellor, um, that worked in that practice. Mm. Mm. Just about what the, the deletion actually meant and, you know, what our options were, I suppose. Mm, mm. And mm. so what options were, were discussed at that, that point? Uh, the amnio test at 16 weeks, mm. um, which is a is a diagnosis, right? So mm. they can actually tell. So obviously, it's not a the first test; it's a screening test where they say there's a there's a chance the amnio would have would have been diagnosis or or not mm. because mm. they can say that um, the correct me if I'm wrong, mm. but the the cells can be from the placenta yeah. and the test can be not indicative of something that the fetus mm. has. And then, the, you know, the only way to really get confirmation is to, you know, wait to 16 weeks and get an amnio um, just to make make sure you get the fetal cells um, and not the placenta. Mm. Um, and if you – so you could do that and then make a decision based on that, um, I suppose, more concrete evidence mm. if you wanted to proceed with pregnancy or, or do a termination. Mm. But to do that, you have to wait until week 16, we're in week 11. Yeah. So that's something that, you know, we um, we had to have some hard conversations about mm. whether to continue with the pregnancy, given we just lost a child as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we chose to have a termination at week 12, Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Without waiting for an additional test, um, mm. and when you do, when Amy has had the termination, they ask you if the genetic counsellor actually talked to us about it. If we wanted to test, um, what they call the products of conception, which is you know testing testing the embryo, if you like, to find out whether in fact this baby had the condition or not, mm. and we chose not to. Mm. Um, to do that testing and we felt, I felt, I certainly felt really comfortable in my decision at that point. Um, I wasn't willing to progress another, you know, five weeks in the pregnancy to possibly end up with the same outcome. I just wasn't willing, you know, having lost Joe so recently and going through all and still going through all of that even now you know nearly Mm. a year and a half on 
but certainly, you know, it was a few months after after he passed away. So I just wasn't wasn't ready to do that. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. Tell me a bit about how you sort of worked worked that through. Now you spoke. You said that you mm. you know you had a number of sort of conversations around that time. Mm. Yeah, maybe just bring us in. Tell us a bit about how you worked it through as a couple. Yeah. Um, so we had the conversation with the genetic counsellor um, and she gave us a lot of information about, um, you know, what, I guess, you know, what decisions could be made, um, you know, what our thoughts were, what our fears were, what, you know, she presented us with a little bit of information about the deletion um, but I remember not really looking at that at that time, like I'd sort of done my own research and I think I'd made up my mind. I think at that point we just, I don't know, you really were supportive of however mm. I felt, to be honest. Like Al just said, what do you think? What are you comfortable doing? I'll support you either way. So... Well, Naomi yeah. had made the decision really to proceed with the termination probably within a day of, mm. of finding out the test results over the phone. Mm. And the appointment with the genetic counsel was after that and when Naomi had already really made a choice of what her preference was to do. Mm. And really, I'm the father and it's not my body. You know, it's not, it's, it's an intellectual exercise for me. Um, whereas it's her, it's her body. Um, so I don't think, I don't feel like I could, uh, uh, sway her either way or even really didn't want to, like, I'm not going to say, I think you could, you should proceed with the pregnancy for five more weeks mm. and then we, where we may potentially have a termination or not. And mm. I just don't think, mm. I just not, it's not my place to make mm. that decision really, given that it's not my body. And for me, I think it was just the, the emotional toll that it had already taken but would continue to take if I had have progressed to 20 weeks to do the amnio, um, not knowing really either way how it was going to go. Was I prepared to put myself through that given, you know, Joe's death, everything that I'd been through? And I wasn't. I wasn't prepared to do it. I wasn't prepared to put my family through it. Um, Frankie had already made a few comments about me looking bigger and asking if there was a baby in my tummy and all of that. Like kids, they're just so smart, you know, they pick up on things. I just wasn't willing to put any of us through that. And, you know, having a termination at 12 weeks is quite different to having a termination at 20 weeks. So, yeah, for me, um, I guess once we got that result in the context of our lives at that point, it felt like the right decision.
the biggest factor there is the grief from the child that we lost, especially how Naomi felt and her state of mind at that point. So Joe passed away in June last year, um, and the first six months were really pretty bad for all of us. Mm. Um, and things have probably been a little bit better in perhaps the last six months. Um, and maybe if we went through the same situation now with the pregnancy, things might be different. I don't know. Mm. But that that factor was the biggest factor, really, is that you've already been through a really terribly traumatic experience that the emotional residence of losing a child is um, off the charts compared to anything else you might have experienced in your life. It's a, it's a, like a Mount Everest spike, right? In your, if you were to graph your, your emotions. Um, so having experienced that uh, is probably the thing that, that led us to that decision, I think. Yeah. And just understanding your capacity to go through hard things and I felt at that point I didn't really have anything left. Um, mm. Mm. Yeah. And did you ha- did you have any reservations? Did you have any worries about sharing your experiences today? Um, I did. You know, I, I haven't really spoken very much um, about the pregnancy that we had after Joe passed away. Uh, it's not something that I shared with a lot of people. Um, so, yeah, I, ha- I was a bit nervous to talk about that, but um, I think it's been good. It's been good to talk about it and get it out there and you know hopefully if our story helps other people then that's that's a good thing Mm, mm. and Ella I'm really interested in your insights from the perspective of a partner you're um, the only partner who is part of the podcast so far Um, so I I just think what you so thank you (laughs) Yeah, I just think what what you said then, you know, speaking about what you felt your place was in terms of that decision-making was so insightful. And I think a lot about what it means to be the partner in when these decisions happen and that idea that, you know, that baby is your baby as well um, and wanting, you know, sort of needing to be part of that decision-making but... I guess not wanting to handball it to the woman, but yeah, just ha- how you find your your way in that. So I, I think you, mm. yeah. Oh, you mean about that? Really. You mean yeah, yeah. So you mean like not disclaiming responsibility and not just saying oh whatever. Yeah. Or but at the same yeah. time, not not telling your partner what they should and shouldn't be doing. Mm. And I think wow, like how do you? That is a really difficult tightrope. I would imagine sort of to to walk uh yeah i think so but it's harder for the woman than for the man like physically mm. if there's a woman who has mm. a pregnancy like yeah it's always going to be more difficult because there's a like Naomi said about having a termination at 12 weeks or, or 16 weeks or 20 weeks i don't have to physically do that so it's not like it's a joint decision because it affects it affects her body, mm. you know, mm. and it's mm. it's quite different, I think. Mm. Yeah. And then the the context that we haven't talked about yet is that we've had um, 
miscarriages in the past. So we've had five pregnancies mm. in total to two children. And one of those children isn't with us anymore. So we have one child here. Mm. And we've had two miscarriages as well. So go we've which we've done together. Mm. So I feel like we've done it all together. So we kind of know a bit about it. Mm. And a miscarriage is different, but it still has um it's still something you have to talk about together and both mm. have to work out work how you feel about it yeah. separately and together. So when you have all those shared experiences mm. as well as parenting and all the other things, it probably helps you understand to be able to make a decision together like that. Yeah. You seem like really skilled communicators. Uh, I don't know. Really? <laughs> Does it feel like that when you're on the couch at night? <laughs> no. <laughs> we're probably better at it now than we were 10 years ago, for sure. But yeah. mm. no. You know. get better at being married, though, I think. <laughs> yeah, I've always felt so supported by Al. Um, I feel like we've made such a good team. Um, and we are a good team. Everything that we've you know, all the obstacles that we've had to overcome together. Um, and I think, yeah, I've just always felt very supported by him and able to make my own choices but know that he's going to back me. Yeah, and, and that's certainly yeah. from the outside looking in. Um, when you say that you're a good team, I think I can see that and other people listening will hear that. Yeah. And all be like, I want an owl too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, everything I'm doing is in is in response. Like it's a you know a tailored response to my wife. Like it's there's heaps of ways to do it. So yeah, you can't clone him. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm interested mm. too, Naomi. That obviously you have, um, you know, your professional experience as a midwife. Um, so I sort of wonder how has that informed some of the personal decisions that you've had to make or your approach to screening or mm. can you talk a bit about that? Sure. Um, you know what, I probably have not as much sort of exposure to that as you would think just because I work at a large tertiary hospital and we often don't see women in pregnancy until they're well into their second trimester. So, you know, they might be 16, 18 weeks before we see them for their first appointment. So by that time, they've already, you know, done the whole first trimester stuff in terms of, you know, screening, genetic screening. Um, so, yeah, I feel like, um, you know, we are in a privileged position to be able to give women the information they need to make an informed decision I suppose there are caregivers that maybe don't give that information in a way that they should I think we really need to present it in an unbiased way to allow women to make the choices right for them um, often you know you do hear quite negative things about conditions like Down syndrome and in reality that's that's just not the case and you know I, I have the lived experience so I know that but 
for people that have never met anyone with DS or don't know anyone with DS, they really lack the real-life perspective on, on what that's like um, and what life could be like having a baby with DS. And I think a lot of women having these tests need to think about why they're having them and if the result is going to alter their decision in any way because if it's not, then maybe it's not worth doing the test in the first place. Um, and having open conversations with your partner about, you know, the potential of getting an adverse result and what you would do and having those conversations before you do the test. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess women are really getting that information from their GPs or their obstetricians, um, mm. Mm. genetic counsellors. So I feel like they've got a lot of responsibility as well as midwives, but in the nature of my career, I'm just, I'm, yeah, I'm seeing women a bit later on. So, And most women are, are you finding most women are, doing non-invasive prenatal screening, most people are getting those results? Yes, absolutely. I'd probably say um, in terms of the women that I see at the hospital that I work at, probably I reckon 90 to 95% of those women have had the NIPT test. Um, and the women that don't have the test have chosen not to uh, for whatever reason, so they've declined the testing Sometimes it's cultural, sometimes it's, you know, because of their religion and, you know, their their belief system. Um, but, I yeah, I would definitely say the majority of women coming through, coming through my hospital or the hospital I work at are having that test done. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, pretty much standard. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Yeah. More common than not, for sure. Mm. Sounds like... All along the way, you've felt very well supported by the health professionals around you and no doubt you're perhaps better at navigating your way around that system. Mm. But is there anything you feel that could have been done better or just how, I guess, how screening was offered, how results are shared, how options are discussed? Yeah, well, look, you know, we we have the most wonderful family GP and who, you know, knew Joe and, and knows our history. Um, so testing, it was a very open sort of honest conversation about, about the tests and, you know, she was really supportive. I don't know. I feel like our experience has been pretty good. Our experience is probably different because we already had Joe. Mm. Um, so when we have it, so a lot of people perhaps get testing and they just expect the result will be will be fine. They won't have to do anything or won't have to make a difficult decision mm. or won't have to consider anything. And maybe, I mean, this is not for us, you know, because we kind of thought we knew that there might be an issue and we had to consider what we would do. So we went in with our eyes open, I suppose, mm. um, which is everyone should do, but it's really difficult to do if you haven't got an experience. Um, how would you how would you know what to do? Mm. Right. So maybe GPs and other doctors should be able to try to prepare people for what might happen if they get a result that they're not expecting. Mm. And appropriately counsel. Yeah. But I think it's a difficult thing to prepare for, really. Mm. Like mm. pre pre test. Yeah. 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 Especially if it's your first child or even your first pregnancy, you've not experienced any pregnancy loss or anything anything. It's a whole new thing, 
how would you be able to prepare yourself for a test result which is different? So we call Joe a unicorn, like because he's rare. Any kid with DS is rare, rare and beautiful, you know, mm. um, like a rainbow, you know. So, but and maybe AJP would say that, oh, you, mm. you kids, you kids got DS, you got a rainbow, you know. But mm. Mm. not everyone mm. would probably think of it like that. Mm. It was always so important for me to get Joe out you know, take him out with me wherever I went. Like I wanted people to see a kid with DS because then what's considered different then becomes familiar and then it's not so scary. But just seeing him participate in life and do all the things that other kids do, um, and I really wanted that. So I feel like the more that it's seen, it becomes not such a, a scary thing. And I think a lot of the decisions that are made around screening or receiving like high chance results are, you know, maybe motivated by fear or really the unknown and not knowing um, the true experience of, of what that could be like. Yeah, if you had a, if you had a, a test result that said your, your child had a high chance of having DS and then you went out of the doctor's waiting room and saw Joe in the waiting room in his pram and he waved to you and smiled <laughs> like I don't know it's going to make things easier surely like if you were to have an experience but it's very difficult like mm. how do you how do you create that I don't know it's, mm. like we, what I'm saying is we would have been the same as anyone else who was perhaps not as informed we're only informed because we had an experience to mm. inform us mm. Um, it's not as if we did anything else. We just yeah. ha that happened to happen to us. So now we're going to know. Yeah. Mm. And I often think too with the pre, um, you know, that pre-screening counselling or, you know, or the conversation that you have with your GP before you may or may not decide to do non-invasive prenatal screening, It's it might be the only time that you really turn your mind to or have a conversation about disability or Down syndrome. So it's such an important opportunity to be able to discuss it in a way that's accurate and in a way that reflects the lived experiences of people with Down syndrome and their families. You know, whether or not people go on to have screening, whether or not they go on to have a high chance result or not, there's that that little you know, conversation that could happen with every person early in their pregnancy where it's an opportunity to challenge those misconceptions. Mm. And I, I don't Definitely. think that necessarily... Or, or ask people is. what they know about it. You know, what do you know about Down syndrome? Have you ever met anyone with Down syndrome? Mm, mm. Um, because a lot of the thought, well, certainly a lot of the thoughts that I had about DS prior to having Joe were just so... <laughs> It was so inaccurate, that, you know, based on things that I'd seen on TV like 10, 15 years ago or, you know, it, you know, it just wasn't, um, it just wasn't real and it wasn't how our experience was at all. It doesn't take very long though to, with your own kid to kind of get a picture of what is real, mm. like with that, whether you're or not. Um, I should, I should state with you that I... I didn't say this before, but when we were pregnant, or before we were pregnant with Joe, I had thought about it just like as an ethical question for me to think about on my own as to 
what I would do if I had a, a child with DS, if I had a, a result. And I, so I had thought about it, right? We hadn't talked about it because I didn't, I didn't talk about it to Naomi during the pregnancy because I didn't want to give her anything to worry about, basically. But I had thought about it over like a number of weeks, maybe. And I'd always thought, oh, I think just as a thought experiment, I suppose. And I, I came to the conclusion, oh, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider a termination because I, I just think it would be, um, I just don't think it would be the right thing to do in that situation. Um, and then I already, then we got Joe and I already had that thought. And I was wow. like, oh, I already had this thought. So I've already <laughs> decided. Um, Look at that architect deep thinking. Uh, but we, <laughs> you, just, you just thought, well, you thought he was drawing yeah. pictures, Naomi. And and we, <laughs> I know, I know. Thinking about all the big oh, stuff. Yeah. But not, not everyone would do it like I did it. Some, most people would do it through conversation with other people, right? Mm. So, which I would have done with my partner had I had she not been pregnant at the time and I'm not wanting to freak her out. Um, so I thought about it and deliberately didn't discuss with her, whereas I might have had she not been pregnant or whatever. Mm. Um, but I'm aware that not everyone would do that to consider something and to come to, come to a conclusion on their own. Mm. Um, but if you're able to do it, and then you got less to yeah, worry about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've you know? gone, yeah. You've, yeah. you've gone there in your mind, and you've, yeah, yeah. And you know, not not everyone is like me, but everyone. But I, I was kind of like, okay, I've already thought about it, so I've made a decision. So I don't need to waste any more time mm. thinking about it. <laughs> um, yeah, because done. And I, I suppose had it had there been an issue to change my mind, I would have been, you know. Willing to do that, but clearly Joe would have changed my mind the other way. Mm. So, and it's true, you know. Once you have this child in front of you, you don't think about it. It's not even. It doesn't even matter. You know, everything else just falls away, and you just start loving that child. And you kind of, you kind of, you know, when you have a child anyway, any kind of child, mm. um, every, any every child, you you was completely lose control of anything anyway, right? So mm. you um whether the kid's got DS or a disability or, or anything, there's such a wide spectrum of what you get when you get a kid, <laughs> which you don't have any control over. Um <laughs> that I feel like DS is just it's inside the circle. Like mm. there's a circle it's a big circle and you because you you're kind of putting your putting yourself into the world and you just get what you get in a mm. way with your kid. Um, so losing control and having a kid with DS, losing mm. control, having another kid, it's kind of all the same thing mm. to me mm. anyway. Mm. That, that mm. makes sense. Mm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Have you read the book Far From The Tree, the Andrew Solomon book? Oh, I just bought that. I just bought it online the other day. Yeah, I'm so excited to read that. Yeah. He's incredible. He's incredible. And just, yeah, how he delves into difference and um, disability and what that means. But um, just listening to you, Al, I was thinking of when I was pregnant with Greta, I read Far From the Tree. And so it's got chapters around lots of different, uh, you know, how children might be sort of different from their parents. Um, and there's a there's chapters around autism and deafness and lots of different things. And there's a chapter on Down syndrome. And I remember thinking, reading that and thinking, oh, yeah, I could, I could do Down syndrome. <laughs> Little did I know, 
<laughs> what, um, yeah, what was to come. So That's it's, it. it's um, funny looking yeah. back and, yeah, thinking about yeah um, things like that. You know, and there's lots of emotions, you know, caught up in that, you know, especially in the early days of um, trying to wrap your head around having a kid with DS and how that wasn't, you know, felt like it was part of my plan but then it's what happened and it was beautiful and it was so much better than I than I had thought it could be so Mm. yeah Mm. so I wanted to know what would you say to others who might be pregnant or thinking about pregnancy and considering non-invasive prenatal screening I think it's worth considering if there are to start with, it's worth considering are there are there risk factors in your family or anything that you're actually looking for. Um, so what, how might the testing be particularly suited to you? Mm. I suppose. Mm. Um, and then if yeah, the second question is, what are you going to find out, mm. um, and what would you do about it? I mm. suppose, and it's worth it's worth considering. Mm. And the thing to consider. I would say, which is really for all parents, is uh, it can be good to give up control Mm. in parenting generally. And that's probably Mm. not to say don't get tested, but you can't control the results of the test. Mm. All you can do is find out about something or not. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'd probably just echo that and say... You know, think about what the testing means, what you're testing for. Is it going to change anything? Um, Is it going to change your course of action? You know, and have the the conversation beforehand and, you know, think about the information that you're getting. Are you getting the right information? And ask questions, you know. It's really important to... You know, caregivers are in a really um, privileged role to be able to guide families through pregnancy and you want to make sure that you're getting really up-to-date information that, you know, is going to give you, I guess, a good idea of, you know, what the outcomes might be. And probably the thing to think about with with a diagnosis for anyone who would get to the point of having a diagnosis pre Natalie is, from my point of view, the diagnosis, a diagnosis of anything is mostly useful because it helps you as a parent work out some things you can do Mm. to help your child if your child Mm. needs particular help, like with DS. Mm. Uh, A lot of kids with DS will need physio to help with movement. They need Mm. Some might need speech therapy. They might need to do things like learn to sign. Just and every kid is different. Every kid needs different things, but the diagnosis... Is just a, a sort of set of guidelines to mm. to help you do that. That's all it is. It's not not anything beyond that, really. Yeah, and it just makes you, I guess, would make you better equipped for a life with a child with special needs. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Oh, look, thank you. I just want to say I'm so appreciative of of you both joining me today and being so open and thoughtful about sharing your experiences. And I know it will. Um, be a, a great help to, to people listening and thinking about prenatal screening and 
all that that involves. Mm. So thank you both. That's okay. Thanks, Lizzie. Thanks, Lizzie. I'm Elizabeth Callanan and you've been listening to One Screened Every Minute. If you want to check in about terminology or specifics, the Explainer episode with genetic counsellor Melody is the best place to start. And for more information and links, there are notes for each episode over at onescreenedeveryminute.com. Thanks to Everpatient series producer Joel Supple and to the University of Melbourne, Melbourne Disability Institute and the Vasudhara Foundation for supporting the podcast and allowing these important stories to be shared. Thank you.